Hello there, space fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Supercluster Podcast. Robin here, without Jamie this week, but I've got my good friend, Chris Esposito, the host of the Space with Spo podcast, one of our favorite podcasts here at Supercluster. Welcome back, Chris. Thanks so much for having me, Robin. How are you doing today? Pretty good, man. Uh, as you know, we are in a busy space news week, as per usual these days. Full transparency, Chris and I are retaping an episode we taped last week because so many things have happened. By the time we were ready to put out that episode, we decided that we needed to re-record, given all the news updates that have happened. And we're not going to waste your time. We're going to get right into it. So as we head into the Starliner OFT2 campaign, Today is Wednesday, August 4th. Chris and I are taping at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Starliner was supposed to launch yesterday, early afternoon, and there was a scrub due to a hardware issue inside Starliner. And uh, they're saying it's a valve issue. ULA, the launcher, says that there's nothing wrong on their side. And uh, Starliner is being brought back to the hangar along with the rocket. And there is rumor that they are going to be unmating Starliner. So, yeah, this is, uh, you know, a developing story. Uh, Chris, what's your take on this? This league, man, this league. (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 frustrating. But at the same time, so when it started, right, that initial scrub, was it even their fault originally? Wasn't there a problem with uh, the ISS? Yeah, so that was the uh, that this was actually the Russians fault. And uh, the situation is turning out to be far more serious than it was originally reported. But the Nauka module that was installed to the space station by Roscosmos erratically started firing its thrusters. And the crew of the space station had to, you know, counter that those thrusters with their own balancing out the space station and and reentering a nominal pitch. And the Nauka module ran out of fuel. So we don't think that's going to happen again. But because of that incident, Starliner was delayed from that first launch window, which was supposed to be last week. And then that window was yesterday, um, Tuesday, August 3rd, and uh, it was scrubbed due to this valve issue. Let me read the official language that they put out. Boeing Starliner manager, John Volmer, he said that they're going to let the data lead their work. Their team is working diligently to ensure safety and success, blah, blah, blah. And then we saw statements from Kennedy. The official thing was launch has been scrubbed due to unexpected valve position indications in the Starliner's propulsion system. Boeing later clarified that it was not a software issue, but a hardware issue. And the reason they clarified was because when OFT1 failed in December 2019, the initial failure was due to a, a clock error. Um, the mission elapsed time clock oh my God. Uh, caused the spacecraft to do things, make moves it was not supposed to. And I think it was off by something like 11 hours. After the mission failure, NASA investigated and found 80 corrective actions yeah, that, that needed only- to be addressed for this flight that is now facing more problems. Which took them two years, right? Like a full two years to fix these problems. Right. So it's awkward, but safety first, human safety first. Obviously, everything that happens now informs on crewed flights coming up. The commercial crew program, NASA's commercial crew program, uh, to remind everyone, is to transition the agency into privatized spaceflight of its astronauts and keeping um, low Earth orbit populated with our astronauts 
since the retirement of the space shuttle, we've been paying the Russians upwards of like 80 million a seat on Soyuz. So obviously SpaceX and Boeing are providing a somewhat cheaper option. But in order for the commercial code program to be considered a success, what is that, Chris? Both of them need to be working, right? <laughs> exactly. Got to get two crews up there at the same time. It's We cannot rely on one provider because as, I mean, when you think about it, shuttle was one provider and what happens when we lost it? We didn't have mm-hmm. any capability mm-hmm. of launching humans from American soil. And as we've seen with DM2 and these early SpaceX missions, apparently that's really important to the country. <laughs> you know, we're, we're seeing yeah. Launch America. We're seeing a very patriotic push behind it, which is very cool. It rallies people behind the space program. That equals more money, more uh, more outreach, and that just helps across the board. But can we risk losing that ability again? Yeah. I mean, my question for this situation would be this. Okay. If they didn't have that scrub because the ISS was on like a roller coaster for an unknown thrust that we couldn't figure out, were they just planning on sending this Starliner capsule up there? And then were they just going to address these problems while they're up there? Or or am I being a little too woke right now? Or what do you think about that situation? When they first announced that there was an issue, They said when they did a checkout after an electricity storm or a lightning storm, and I'm like, you know, and they, uh, there was some weird emphasis on the lightning storm. And I'm like, why are you emphasizing this lightning storm when this has nothing to do with it? I don't know. I also, I wanted to bring back that quote that was hard for me to read and I want to read it. It's gag worthy. And I'll, I'll explain why we're going to let the data lead our work. This is the Bo- Boeing Starliner manager, John Vomer. We're going to let the l- data lead our work. Our team has worked diligently to ensure the safety and success of this mission, and we will not launch. This is my favorite part. We will not launch until our vehicle is performing nominally. <laughs> nominally means normally, and our teams are confident is oh that God. it is ready to fly. Okay, I get the need for PR and and messaging management. But this is so painfully and absurdly obvious thing to say mm-hmm. that it's it, it's like what are you what are you trying to hide? like wh- what are you not saying <laughs> you know what I mean because Chris isn't this like the bottom line of spaceflight yes we know that you can't launch until the spacecraft is ready and yeah. we you're confident that it's gonna fly like I don't know there's something about that messaging that seems very very empty and very dodgy. I don't know. Yeah. Isn't that crazy, Robin, to think about that Starship might fly before Starliner? I mean, that is bananas. That is, it's, if you told me that a couple of years ago, I, I would, I would have, wouldn't have believed you, man. And to be here and to see the progress or lack of progress being made by certain companies versus their competitors, it's very interesting and fascinating because you have one company like Boeing that's been around for couple generations now you know they've had a hand in all major spacecraft all tons of missions throughout history and they're you know one of the top defense and space contractors in the world to watch them falter like this you wonder if the company's problems are beyond talent beyond hardware beyond Mm -hmm. technology if they're because let's face it boeing space they separate boeing space from boeing and boeing airplanes I mean, everyone knows the issues they've been having. People have died. Planes have fallen out of the sky. And they're in constant war with the FAA. 
Boeing has their own drama with the FAA. We'll get to SpaceX's <laughs> drama in a minute. But you brought up Starship. So as of right now, well, we're watching Starliner. We don't have any further statements from beyond what we've just told you. It's indefinitely, um, right? They like suspended it indefinitely? Uh, yeah. And like I said, we're hearing rumors that they're going to be unmating Starliner from the Atlas V booster. So that's concerning. And that's going to cost time. And I don't know. I'm hoping that that's not the case. I'm hoping they're able to figure out in the in the rockets hangar while it's still attached yeah. figure out what this issue is with the hardware and the valve the valves and you know we'll follow Boeing's Twitter account follow Supercluster's Twitter or Instagram we'll be posting updates when we hear them obviously if you have the Supercluster launch tracker you will be updated as soon as they update and you know check our website it's unfortunate because we've been waiting for this, like you said, Chris, Long for a couple time, of years. Yeah. And you want to give a company the benefit of the doubt. You want to be hopeful about spaceflight and remain positive. But at the same time, we, we do ignore a lot of these inherent issues. And we, and we tr- sometimes trying to stay positive lets some of these companies skirt by when there's public money involved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll yeah. leave it at that. Let's head down mentally to Starbase, Texas. Which yeah. the rapid development going down there is insane. Yeah, I mean, why can't Boeing just take a couple, you know, pages out of Elon's book? Like, what is so different about what Elon's doing versus like the team at Boeing? I mean, it's just night and day. It's it's a very it it's two very different philosophies, man. It's and I, I, if I could explain it, I'd be doing it. I wish I could <laughs> tell you what I what I say what I see personally is. A very old school way of thinking. Boeing's very corporate. They're all about winning contracts, extending those contracts, squeezing a dollar out of every contract and every opportunity, no mm. matter if the vehicle or the hardware is successful. Mm. And, you know, there's still questions to be faced about SLS. Boeing is the major contractor there. Are we all assuming that that rocket's going to work? Um, <laughs> so there's lots of things to worry about, but. Speaking of SLS, the other counterpoint to SLS is Starship. And what SpaceX is doing down in Starbase is basically building and testing out in the open. And, you know, Starship is a point of contention in the space industry, as we'll get to uh, in a little bit. But let's talk some updates here. Over the last few days, SpaceX has completed the fuselage of the super heavy booster, which is like, Stories tall. It's a skyscraper. Oh, yeah, massive. And from what I understand, the super heavy booster, which is larger than life, it has 29 of its Raptor engines installed already in the last couple of days. They've installed grid fins, which they're open in terms of like the flap is open permanently, I think, on this particular ship. The booster is called Booster 4. The Starship it's going to fly, which is also being built and completed at Starbase. It's called Ship 20. So get it? Booster 4, Ship 20. Because oh. Elon <laughs> loves weed, I guess. Um, and, That's um, actually good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. The Starship, Ship 20, has heat shield tiles on it. Thermal protection, which is They're pretty black, cool. And yeah. It, yeah, black kind of. And it. what does it remind you of? The space shuttle, right? It's pretty cool. Yeah, the um, bottom of it, yeah. Yeah. So if you head over to Supercluster's Instagram, we just posted a photo of the nose cone for the S20 Starship. So remember, this Starship and this super heavy booster will be mated together. 
and hopefully become the vehicle that reaches orbit, the first Starship vehicle to reach orbit. The plan for that is to, from what I understand, is splashing down in the Pacific Ocean about 100 kilometers northwest of a Hawaiian island. Um, I can't remember the name of the uh, the island, but... That should be a really incredible live stream. <laughs> like, yeah, that's going to be a good one. This booster is huge. Like, yeah. I don't think people realize how massive this whole thing is together. Elon has been pretty cool about tweeting pictures. So check out his Twitter account. We have uh, Devin Perez down there at Starbase uh, taking photos every other day. And uh, the images and video coming out of Starbase are extraordinary. But yeah, go over to NASA Spaceflight on YouTube there. Have a really amazing live stream. Our buddy Tim Dodd, the everyday astronaut, just did a a three-part interview with Elon. He did a cool tour of Starbase. Check out Everyday Astronaut's YouTube account for that really awesome tour. Yeah, so we're waiting. We're waiting Starship's orbital launch. It's going to be really exciting. In the meantime, you can cop a starship t-shirt from the super closer store you can still grab one of our starship patches we only have a couple of them left so grab one of those to celebrate so starship uh, the reason why everyone's so excited about it is nasa has really endorsed starship mm-hmm. spacex has won the human landing system contract for starship to bring nasa's astronauts back to the moon for the first time since the apollo era it's very exciting there's always the last couple of years chris there's been this 2024 idea i've been the grinch since day one saying that's bullshit we're never gonna hit that (laughs) (laughs) and uh we're we're not going to and spacex is close it's getting close it's getting close it's not gonna happen i'm thinking more like 2026 2027 i'm running out of time i'm a human okay i'm literally dying as i speak i waited five years for falcon heavy I know, so, I know from like when I they first so said they were we, I think it's so funny whenever we talk about this because it's like I kind of came in like at the like at the end of the uh, dark space age, right? And you guys all yeah when you waited months years. for a launch, yeah, and uh, grow Crazy. old waiting for a rocket launch. I mean, I was thinking if I was at that Starliner launch, like these delays make it hard almost to make content around space, right? Like I want to drop hype videos for these launches, but yeah. if I dropped it the day that it was supposed to happen, then it, we're, we're like weeks off here. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Um, when it comes, let, let's have a blood conversation real quick about Starliner and coverage because a lot of media, there was wall to wall media coverage of Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin. Oh, and, yeah. you know, SpaceX gets a healthy amount of coverage. Elon is probably the most famous person walking the planet mm-hmm. Boeing and Starliner. There are very, very few journalists at Kennedy covering this mission comparatively. And a lot of the national outlets decided not to send the reporter down. And you know, what goes into goes into that decision-making one, all these media companies just blew all their money on Virgin and blue <laughs> or they're saving their money for a SpaceX Starship orbital launch or the next crew or inspiration Four, which is going to have international attention. So this is the way that editor in chiefs think this is the way that media Mm -hmm. companies think Boeing doesn't bring in the numbers. Unfortunately, when will they, when they successfully launch Starliner, when they bring it back, when they have humans on there ready for a safe and they're confident for their flight, I think there will be, media down at Kennedy to cover those historic Boeing crewed flight missions. But right now it's not there. Yeah. We had Eric Kuna 
down there, but he had to leave for vacation after it was scrubbed the first day. And now we have John Krause and uh, Jenny Hotman down there covering for us. So we have a crew down there covering uh, the mission in terms of photography and, and visuals and Obviously, um, our launch tracker and, and everything else will be doing the legwork for when Starliner reaches the space station mm-hmm. or the tracking for delays, things like that. But, you know, speaking bluntly as a chief of content, in this day and age, you kind of have to make tough decisions on what your coverage goes to and where your resources go to. Mm-hmm. And uh, you kind of have to meet people where they are in terms of your audience. If your audience is all about SpaceX right now or all about, you know, Blue Origin, Virgin, then you have to meet them halfway. And I think a lot of these media companies are thinking that way right now. Yeah, you got to get in the mix there. And, you know, not for nothing, Starliner, uh, no offense to anybody, but it's really not like a sexy looking spaceship either, right? So they have it's to do not. like... <laughs> yeah. it's not. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad it's, you brought that it's up. It's like it an d- ugly looking spaceship. I hate to yeah. say it. We're in 2021, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And you yeah. see how sexy the Crew Dragon is. Like, yeah. I don't know, maybe add some more I, windows uh, or something. I 100% agree with you. And I'm glad you brought that up because it was something I was thinking about a little while ago. And I, I thought about it in a fleeting moment, but I was like, man, this is kind of plain old Jane over here with this design. And uh, you know what? After Boeing brought back the original OFT vehicle, I don't know how they recovered it, but they brought it in and they called me and a couple other folks into the hangar to, to look at it. And it does look badass with a giant burn on it. Like, you know, uh, from it coming through, uh, through the atmosphere upon re-entry, um, it had this really badass burn on the side. That looks cool. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, if this goes to the space station and comes back, it'll have you know some uh, burn marks and battle wounds, and uh, yeah. it'll look cooler. But yeah, I have to agree with Chris. Like they need to revamp that design. And let me tell you, SpaceX, like aesthetic and design and sexiness and coolness is oh, absolutely factored into got, everything. Yeah. Everything. They're, they're, Everything. Like, even on YouTube, their waiting screen right. on YouTube right. makes you feel like you're in the year right. 3000. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. These, uh, these old school dinosaur aerospace companies do need to evolve their design and aesthetic. I know some people you can call. <laughs> Make That's the great. Call. Well, you, you, but yes, yeah. they need a revamp, man. They, they need a, a 21st century sort of cutting edge aesthetic to sort of marketing draw plan too people. yeah yeah and th- think about this like i think that not a lot of people even realize that like this is one of two space exploration style spaceships like this can actually go someplace other than right uh you right. know the the bezos and and the richard branson style spaceship so i think they need a better this marketing is an orbital plan. spacecraft. Yeah, yeah, people, they need to like get the point across. Like, no, no, we can take this thing anywhere, right? Like, get excited right. about this. They need a hype man. <laughs> they need a hype man. They need look. And this issue, it's not just about PR and media. It's not about looking cool. No, no, no. It's about getting people to come work for you. Getting talent. SpaceX's aesthetic draws in people who want to work there. People who want to be part of their mission. Boeing, Lockheed, all these companies they pay a ton of money they've got hardware to build they've got projects to do but there's something that's preventing them from getting the top talent and i think it has to do with their presentation i think some of these companies need to make a longer term vision because people are excited about spacex because they have this end game goal of like we're going to reach mars we're going to go beyond mars when you think about long-term plans of boeing and lockheed you can't really think anything besides profit (laughs) 
you know? Yeah, and so, failure. What? Right. <laughs> Profit and failure. Like, that's very real talk right there. So, you know, Robin, these they don't things- have time to change anything. Like, they literally can't even, like, paint it a new color. Like, just get right. it ready and get it into space already, please. Yeah. Get, cash the check, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Starship is, you know, racing towards its, its moon ambitions. And Blue Origin is not happy about that. We are going to be segueing into this story Uh, this morning, uh, August 4th. Blue Origin, again, published something on its website, a really terribly designed infographic (laughs) with incorrect, incorrect data on it, of course, trying to say that Starship is the wrong choice to bring humans back to the moon. We got to fight. And and, yeah, it's like, okay, they, they could have made an argument for why their human landing system should work alongside as a starship. But instead they were like starship, bad starship, bad starship. It's just not true. It's just not true. Right. Like here's the thing. Like they're, they were saying, Oh, this is untested. They haven't done this yet. They haven't done this yet. I'm like, yeah, we know they're, they're doing it. Like give them, give them a couple (laughs) of years. And like the big point was, And, you know, I don't know if this is a personal opinion or, you know, Starship is an amalgam of technologies that SpaceX has been developing for over a decade. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about Falcon 9. We're talking about reentry. We're talking about booster recovery. The Dragon is a spacecraft that brings humans to space and back. That technology is heavily informing on Starship. The way I see Starship is you're taking Falcon 9, you're taking Dragon, you're taking everything that they've learned from those two vehicles, booster, carrier, and all their successes. They're mutating that into Starship. They're taking all those lessons into Starship. Blue Origin does not understand this concept. Clearly, they don't. <laughs> and they're admitting it on their website. I said and that from they, day one. I said, I know? was like, I don't understand why you spent the last 10 years building a suborbital space vehicle. Right, I just don't right. get it. So SpaceX is practices the iteration process, meaning they just build and they compound technology. They learn, they remove, they, they step, they're walking up a stairway. Blue Origin has been walking on a flat, plane for 10 years but they don't you see spacex is you know iterative process they start small and they work their way up starship is clearly the next step up from falcon 9 on i'm sorry falcon 9 stepped up to falcon 9 block 5 falcon 9 block 5 stepped up to falcon heavy we've seen that they can launch falcon heavy and now starship is like i said an amalgam of all the that long road all those vehicles, all that technology that they've built and streamlined. And, you know, I like to also say that SpaceX didn't invent the wheel here. They mm. revolutionized manufacturing. They've built fast. They built fast and confidently and safely. And the building process is what is inventive about SpaceX. Falcon 9 is a pretty simple rocket. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people have a misconception about SpaceX's technology. It's ap- actually the simplest version of what it can be. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so th- where they look for success. Yeah. So on top of that, so the GAO basically ruled back against Jeff Bezos, and they said that like no dice, right? There was no cheating, right? 
So, so now where so does that what, stand with the, the offer that Jeff had with $2 billion? Where does that stand right. now? So, Chris, you bring a good point. It was last week. Jeff Bezos wrote a letter to NASA saying, I'll cover – well, you know, let's – do away with the semantics. He's bribing NASA with $2 billion. <laughs> He's like, listen, pay me. Hold on. I'll pay you to pay me to do this mission. To get some like action he, on the moon. Yeah. He just wants NASA to hire him to bring humans to the moon. That's his dream. He doesn't care how he gets from A to B. And they, they filed a rebuttal because NASA awarded the, the money to SpaceX only. And they filed a rebuttal, and the rebuttal was denied. The GAO mm-hmm. denied it, saying that the award was given fairly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bezos then offered two billion. <laughs> no one said anything because, like, there's never there hasn't been a response. Because here's why: crickets. one, I don't crickets because one, I don't think it's legal what he did. Two. Like, who's supposed to respond to that? There's yeah, no person. They, NASA's not a casino. NASA's, like, NASA doesn't have a fixer who's sitting in a dark room somewhere that's like, all right, slip me that envelope. We'll get this done. Yeah, what are you going to get a, t- a text back from Bill Nelson? And be like, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, I'm down. So yeah. send I'll over take your two. Venmo yeah. me the two billion. Yeah, like, there's no, there's, what he did was very crass, very shady in terms of like, here's two billion, give me the contract. I think NASA just wants to see development they want to see technology mm-hmm. that's what they're seeing with spacex you know and i don't know if there's any other way for blue origin to get a contract to go back to to go to the moon for nasa unless they just build and show them that the technology works mm-hmm. like i've seen blue origins lunar lander it's cardboard with a balloon in the middle that's what they've been showing off at like conferences and stuff like nobody mm-hmm. wants to see that you know, yeah, that was people, a little embarrassing. I saw that. People, yeah, people want to see hardware. They want to see you test out in the open. If if they have to see an explosion happen, then they have to see an explosion happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So, There's lots of different philosophies going on here. Yeah, I'd be curious. So, what's your take on this? What is what is stopping Jeff Bezos from just getting pissed off? He'll get denied with this two billion from either Bill Nelson or somebody else will tell him he can't do that. What is stopping Jeff from just taking his large sum of money that he has and just building his own way to the moon and meeting us on the other side of the moon without NASA? Honestly, you need to ask Jeff Bezos that because (laughs) Elon had that philosophy. Elon's like, listen, I do not plan to get NASA's guidance and money. Do not plan for that. Just build and do it on your own and NASA will pay attention. Bezos did the opposite. Bezos just spent all the energy begging NASA. Like they built all these giant factories around Kennedy Space Center. They're just empty. There's not like he he made a huge show to get NASA's money and it didn't work. SpaceX built hardware and and already started. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like SpaceX is already flying humans for NASA. Blue Origin is not flying humans for NASA right now. Mm -hmm. Those are two clearly distinct things. Yeah, I know what I mean. That Jeff and the Blue Origin team kind of screwed themselves when they gave that original offer, right? I think that weren't they like right. not even close to what uh, SpaceX right. was offering? So look, let, let me let me go through this real quick. Here's an example of what Blue Origin said. So apart from that dumb infographic they published today, which was, <laughs> like I said, incorrect, they dumped a bunch of files on their website. That's basically stuff that you usually sh- that a company would usually share with Congress or lobbyists stuff 
like oppo material opposition material like um let me let me read you a couple of this stuff there are unprecedented number of technologies developments and operations that have never been done before for starship to land on the moon blue origin wrote so yeah that's one thing and an example of one point they made in these documents and i'll give you one example of something they included and uh, one example of something they left out which you just brought up blue origin compared the height of the astronaut exits on each vehicle they say starship's <laughs> exit is 126 feet above the ground and uses an elevator or a lift to bring them to the surface blue origin said that's dumb and that their their lander is 32 feet off the ground and requires just a crew jumping down from it okay that's all right yeah. i i cool but we're coming from earth like what's another <laughs> like 80 yeah. feet you know what yeah. i mean we're coming from earth Anyway, here's Blue one thing Origin, they left out. <laughs> I was going to say, Blue Origin loves talking shit through infographics. That's like oh, their yeah. move. Like, <laughs> and uh, let me tell you, they're, I don't, I, I don't like talking shit about designers and stuff because you know it's it's artist objective. But damn, let me tell you, these infographics are terribly designed. <laughs> um, you can barely read them. And anyway, so that was an example of something they complained about in these documents that they're publishing on their website, which is very weird and awkward. They did not talk about the cost comparison. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, which is a huge factor in why they lost because NASA does not get that much money from Congress. Anyway, SpaceX's bid was 2.9 billion. Blue origins was double that at yeah. 5.99 billion. They made their own bed. They really did. So, you shouldn't have left that out, man. If you're going to make a case, like at least be honest about all the other factors. Like, you know what I mean? Like we, we have Google, we can Google this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, that is the on world slash slightly off world news for today. But Chris, you know what we're here for, man. We want the juice. What's going on with the UAP investigation. Yeah, I know you're. Okay. I know you're deep into it. I'm, um, deep. I'm usually I'm usually deep into it, but all this, you know, low Earth orbit ISS yep. human yep. affairs keep kept me busy the last. Absolutely, I don't know if you can hear this in the mic, but I have the report in my hands right now. I have bathed with this thing. I have slept with this thing. I took this thing out to a nice chicken cutlet dinner. I've I've been in this report for the past month. That Basically, you guys are you guys are dating. That's we are. That's we're we're together at this point. Okay. This is the this is the best report I've ever had in my hands. Basically, the government came out and they have acknowledged the existence of unidentified aerial phenomena basically for the first time ever, right? Mm -hmm. And although this was a short preliminary report, meaning this is only the start of our government kind of acknowledging what's going on here, they really did give us a lot of like gold nuggets about the phenomenon, right? Like some mm -hmm. of the things is the multiple radar senses. They said in a lot of the cases, there was multiple radar senses. So as this report goes on, we learned that it's actually disqualifying what it could potentially be. Right. I think there was out of 144 military instances where they were recording these UAPs, I think 143 remain unidentified. One of them they believe with high confidence was a, a deflating weather balloon. And that's still unknown. So basically, right. weather balloon they, just means UFO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I told you, uh, whoever invented weather balloons, I want to fight because, well, weather balloon is the worst thing that's ever invented, actually. Yeah, especially yes. if you're a UFO fan. Yeah. You know yeah. What I mean? 
But some other big parts of the report, especially the areas that I really dove into, is this one part where it says, in 18 instances described in 21 reports, observers reported unusual UAP movements, patterns, and flight characteristics. Then it goes into saying some of these things had radio frequency energy associated with it, so kind of like radar jamming. And mm-hmm. you know, the important part of this report is that the cases that they're investigating isn't just from me, you, and, you know, the the buddies drinking beers at the beach where they take their phone out and, you know, they take videos and send it in. No, this is like Navy footage. These are trained aerial pilots who know what they're seeing in the sky. And that is why the stigma is finally changing about these things. And I think it's really important that, you know, they said they're going to put some resources to it. And it's important that we investigate this and figure out what the hell is on our planet with us, right? I mean... It's become such a a hot point in like the military slash space slash def- I guess defense and military are same, but you know these private industries too are are starting to like take this seriously, and there's some crossover from you know the UAP investigation as a whole on the military Pentagon side and a crossing over to the space side a little bit. There is a a blog called Black Vault, and I think last week. They had a, a FOIA app that got approved that showed that NASA did have an internal meeting among their leadership at a request um, sent over by the UAP folks at the Pentagon, which is very interesting. We don't know what the content of that meeting was, but Bill Nelson, Chris, he did say that like NASA would look into it and that Nelson oh, yeah. himself, speaking on it, yeah, in, in, in a broader sense, he believes that there are aliens out there in the universe, which is interesting. I think Bill Bill might know a little bit more than you know the general public does. I think that what he's he said interviewed in that, the pilots. So he's yeah. interviewed the pilots and yeah, he has. he's had access to the report before it was made public. And I think he's seen the redacted stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he's the seen like report, yeah. yeah, like classified versions of stuff. So we'll see how the story plays out. Yeah, I've been trying to find more information about the classified version. I've just been connecting with some folks online. Nobody Mm -hmm. knows if it's going to come out, when it's come out. We had some word that it's 70 pages and eight videos. And then I've heard other people say that it's Mm -hmm. only 12 pages and two videos. So we we truthfully don't know when we're going to get that classified version that everybody else saw that we didn't. But it's got to come out, right? It's got to leak eventually, no? Right. Just on an international level... The Chinese are looking into the UAP stuff very heavily. Oh, yeah. The Russians are being very dodgy and cagey about the subject, which means they're up to something. And, uh, this, you know, when I talk to my Russian sources, they never want to talk about it. And one of the reasons is there is a, a greater stigma about talking about UFOs in the Russian defense sort of circles. Mm-hmm. But the way that they're being cagey about the subject when I do talk to them about it means that they're as confused as we are. Mm-hmm. And China never usually shows any weakness in their armor when it comes to anything related to their military. And they're very public about how they're engaging this big unknown thing, this UAP phenomenon. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite parts about the report that I uh, forgot to say is, I'm going to read this to you guys. It says, the UAPTF holds a small amount of data that appear to show UAP demonstrating acceleration or a degree of signature management. You know what that sounds like to me, Robin? Cloaking device. That sounds to me like they're just popping in and out of reality. 
One of the videos, doesn't it show, and I think one of the pilots called it out, that the object was sort of following them in a spiral upward? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Shows Um, that it's intelligently controlled somehow. Right. Right. And if it's China and Russia are having the same problem, (laughs) and we're having the same problem... It's a global problem. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's very interesting. We'll keep following the subject. And Chris, what's like the next benchmark for this story? Like are you mentioned that people are trying to get the unclassified version of the report out. Mm -hmm. I've heard from people here and there that, and if you put two and two together, the way that the UAP task force engaged with NASA, some of the stuff that Bill Nelson said, what seems to be missing from the report and from what I've heard from folks in the community, mm. there might be some indication in the unclassified report that there's UAP activity in low earth orbit. That's next. Orbit. And that's next. I think the yeah. next steps are, you know, disclosure is going to continue happening, whether, you know, society likes it or not. I mean, the ball right. is rolling now. I think next is yes, low earth orbit photos and videos and, you know, actual evidence for sure. And then call me crazy, but I think that something has to come out about a potential recovered craft or some type of archaeological right. dig or something to relate to either Lazar's story. Both or, those things have been already alluded to by the Navy. A hundred percent. And then yeah. more, more clear videos coming out. Like I'm a big believer that we're just going to continue to receive like better quality footage, which is really just going to change our whole understanding of this topic. I mean, now that we have SETI and, you know, the UFO community working together, I honestly think that it's only a matter of time until we get some answers. We just got to be really careful. Are we ready for the answers that we're looking for? Very, very true. And Chris, we'd love to have you back on in the future when you have a big update. Our listeners, please follow uh, Space with Spo on Instagram and Twitter and look up Chris's podcast on Spotify and it's on YouTube. Where else is it, Chris? It's everywhere. Spotify, Apple, YouTube. Go listen to me and Robin's episode now. We had a great conversation two weeks ago. You guys are going to love it. It's a good one. Thank you so much for being on the show, Chris. And thanks for doing this news wrap with us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much, Robin. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks, everyone. And we'll catch you next time.